Welcome to The View from Apollo, a podcast where we discuss current macroeconomic trends and break down how they'll impact our investors. I'm your host, Torsten Slock. I'm Chief Economist here at Apollo Global Management. Each episode, I'll be joined by leaders from across our business who will share their unique perspective on the market factors that are shaping sectors and investment strategies. You can catch new episodes by subscribing to The View from Apollo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or by visiting our homepage, apollo.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of The View from Apollo. My name is Torsten Slack, and I'm the chief economist here. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Susan Arthur. She's the CEO of CareerBuilder and Billy Milam, who's the CEO of EmployBridge. Thanks very much for joining us today, Sue and Billy. Yeah, thank you, Torsten. Thank you, Torsten. Okay, so let's start out. First, maybe um, Sue and Billy, can you, uh, starting with you, Sue, can you give us a little bit of a background, both personal and in your careers at CareerBuild and EmployBridge? We're starting with you, Sue. Sure. Thanks again, Torsten, for having us on. Uh, so Susan Arthur, I am the CEO of CareerBuilder as of last summer. I uh, came to CareerBuilder after a long career in tech, uh, mostly in technology outsourcing and services, uh, and came to the job, came to the role uh, to join CareerBuilder as in the time of this change in the labor market in the U.S. and uh, over the opportunity to contribute to that problem. Oh, that's good. And Billy? What is your background and where did you come to EmployBridge? Yeah, I came uh, kind of an interesting path to EmployBridge. Uh, I was in the convenience store uh, gasoline industry for 22 years, uh, last seven of which I was uh, in uh, a leadership role with one of the largest convenience store operators in the country. And got to a point one day where I was ready to do something different, try something different, had an opportunity with a uh, private equity-backed staffing company called Higher Dynamics. And this was about two and a half years ago. I uh, had an opportunity to be their CEO. Uh, seemed a little bit outlandish at first, but the more I had communication conversation with the folks from Higher Dynamics and the leaders with the private equity firm that own Higher Dynamics, uh, the more sense it made to me. So I decided to take the plunge and jump into staffing uh, after, like I said, spending a lot of time in convenience stores. And then we, uh, we uh, undertook a fairly aggressive uh, organic and inorganic growth plan. We were able to double our size uh, in a two-year period, despite you know, the, the difficulties the pandemic had brought onto uh, certainly our industry, the staffing industry and labor. Uh, we are able to double the size of our company. We entered a process and EmployBridge uh, ended up acquiring us. Uh, the CEO of EmployBridge at the time was in a position and uh, ready to jump into a board role. So he slid over to our board and I had an opportunity to slide into his his role as CEO of EmployBridge. And I've been in this role now for five, almost five months uh, with EmployBridge. And uh, it's been it's been wonderful. It's been great as we've integrated the two companies and set forth on a platform for, for further growth down the road. Yeah, and before we turn to um, talking about the state of the labor market at the moment, um, so career builder services uh, uh, and provides, of course, job postings across uh, all sectors of the economy. But at EmployBridge, um, maybe Billy, you could just talk about what what segments of the economy uh, are you particularly focused on, and what parts of the economy more broadly uh, are you servicing? Yeah, we're the largest commercial staffing provider in the country. Uh, 
And when I say commercial staffing, what I mean is light industrial manufacturing, supply chain, you know, logistics um, companies, e-commerce, uh, especially contact centers. Uh, a lot of folks call them con, uh, call centers, rather, contact centers. Uh, and then office profession, we do some of that as well. But commercial staffing is generally uh, not the white collar type targets, but really everything else. We're in 48 states. We'll put 100,000 people to work today, uh, powered by our 3,100 colleagues that, that enable that. Okay. So with that background, uh, why don't we turn to uh, the one very important question for financial markets at the moment, namely, uh, what is the state of the labor market? As we all know, uh, the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate of getting the U.S. economy to full employment and getting inflation to 2%. Uh, so from your chairs, and maybe starting with you, Sue, uh, what is the state of the job market today? Uh, and how do you look at uh, how far we have come after COVID? What are the challenges today? What does the path ahead look like going forward? What we see is this frenetic pace of activity. If you just kind of step back through the pandemic and then how we entered 2021 and exited, we exited with 60% more job openings than uh, we entered with. And we came through this, you know, the second half of last year, I think the the 31 million people that quit last year created a relative quit rate that was twice what it was 10 years before. So you compound that with, so we came into the year with over 11 million jobs open. Uh, the industries, the jobs are opening and the relative pace of growth around those industries isn't all pandemic related. Some of it's new sectors, whether it's it's crypto or it's the longer tail of the pandemic, what's happening in Career Builder right now is we're getting incredible growth in demand for some types of jobs that you would think about at the tail end of a pandemic, like everything in the category of community and social services, meaning mental health workers, substance abuse workers, getting a lot of demand in education. So for educators that stepped out or places where there is new growth in the education segment, whether it's vocational and technical skills or other types of educators because of growing skills gaps. So I would just sum that up as uh, Torsten, as there is just a really intense and frenetic pace. And some of it is clear and obvious, meaning Demand for nurses sort of looks like the curve of COVID cases, but other newly growing sectors emerging um, and nothing really letting up at this point. And what about for you, Billy? I mean, what from your chair and particular for the industrial part of the economy, and now we have more recently had a very significant increase in energy prices. Um, what is the state of the job market and, and how, are, how are things uh, looking at the moment? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I would I would say a whole lot different from what Susan said. You look at Q4 uh, GDP growth, that was pretty exceptional, 7% during the course of the quarter. Um, and we saw a significant uh, pent-up demand from both our clients as supply chain uh, issues, I won't say normalized, but seemed to have a loosening uh, and able to uh, get some of our clients back on a little bit more of a moderated schedule. And then you had from our, from our associate and just for clarity, we call our associates the temporary employees we put to work every day, the 100,000 people that I mentioned just before. Our associates, I think there was some pent-up demand to come back to work. I, the expiring federal and, and state 
uh, unemployment benefits. Uh, certainly got some of those guys up off the couch, ready to jump in, jump back into the workforce. You couple that with client demand, kind of a loosening supply chain. Uh, the pent-up demand as we went into a holiday season last year and really the first, you know, normal, if you will, to a degree, uh, holiday season uh, that we'd had in a couple of years, they needed people to be able to support that. So we saw quite a bit of that. Q1 so far, uh, you know, as we're just about to close out Q1 this week, we see some moderated slowing in that. Uh, we do think there'll be further acceleration as we get further into the year. Um, but our, our exit velocity coming out of last year was really, really good. It hasn't been quite at the same level we wanted it to be, uh, or we expected it to be, rather. But we're seeing that track right along with what you see with GDP growth. Well, then, with the unemployment rate today at 38 uh, just below 4%, and the unemployment rate before the pandemic was 35 um, then at least the economy is getting closer and closer to the goal of, uh, of full employment, which of course is why the Federal Reserve is beginning on the path of, of raising rates. Uh, but one very important development that of course also is becoming more and more clear is that the, uh, during the COVID era, of course, it was a little bit harder for companies uh, to uh, get connected with talent. And both of your companies have a mission to connect companies with talent out there. How has that mission changed? If we start with you, Billy, how is it different today uh, relative to what we saw pre-COVID? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. You know, you just mentioned unemployment rate being pretty close to where it was pre-pandemic. Uh, but as you also know, uh, labor force participation rate still a couple percentage points below where it was. And for us, uh, that's been fairly significant because those are the guys that have either retired. Um, it's maybe the students who have opted not to to maybe work quite as aggressively as they maybe once were. For a variety of reasons, we're seeing that, you know, 200 basis point gap really caused us some, some difficulty. So for us, it's attacking those guys, meeting them where they are, whether it be gig scheduling, where they're saying, you know what, pre-pandemic, I was fine working 40 hours a week, set the schedule. Um, I'm okay maybe, maybe uh, not doing that as much anymore. I'm willing to do more of a gig type opportunity where I might want to work Thursday, Friday, half a day on Saturday, and then a full day, again, Tuesday and Wednesday the following week. And seeing if we can meet those guys where they are and find opportunities for them to be able to um, uh, be put to work. And then you mentioned earlier, you know, gasoline prices. Uh, <laughs> you know, based on my past past um, life, career life, being in the gasoline industry, I understand quite a bit about that. The sensitive sensitivities that are associated with rising gas prices and how do you attack some of those? And so from a labor perspective, we're seeing more people that might have a full-time job to be able to say, you know what, I need to work around the fringes a little bit more. You know, it's cost me a hundred extra dollars a month for gasoline or for the rising grocery costs that I have. So I need a, I need a gig at nights or on the weekends and us seeing if we can't meet them where they are too and have an opportunity for this guys to find suitable employment for them just to make a little bit of extra money. And Sue, are you seeing the same uh, requirement for flexibility in your job postings or the characteristics of uh, companies that are looking for workers here? And has that also been a significant change during the COVID era in your, from your chair? We are. I would compliment what Billy said and from the straight data as it's coming in the door. Um, in the postings, employers who are offering flexibility in a variety of ways and fashions, whatever that means, whether it's in hours and location and, um, you know, gig type work, uh, they are 
much more likely at a fairly significant multiple to get applicant two jobs posted, same same job. One that offers some form of flexibility is going to get a lot more traffic. So a lot of the work is around, you know, meeting uh, job seekers where they are, but also finding to to Billy's point about participation rate, um, finding candidates, finding the passive candidates, finding the people that stepped out and uh, working to engage them to step back in. So it is uh, all the elements of solving the riddle to uh, to deal with the the supply problem. Torsten, I would add to that too. One one thing. Yeah, please. When you think about what changes have happened, part of it is our industries reacted to what the uh, associates are looking for, what the labor pool, what the workers are looking for. The other part is kind of their change of habits. When you think about mobile applications, for example, uh, in 2019, about 50% of jobs were placed in some capacity through a mobile app. It may just be them finding it and then calling into one of our offices or into our central call center to be able to be placed. But right now, we're running about 67, 7, close to 70% of uh, mobile applies where they can, through their phone, uh, not a computer, not walking into a branch, um, but really just through their phone, apply for a job. And then in some cases, it's seamless. They can be placed all the way through if we've pre-qualified them to a degree, or we will uh, refer them to, you know, do some do some further screening with us, maybe in person. But that's the thing that's changed in the two year span to go from 50% mobile applies to 67% mobile applies is something pretty significant that's impacted our company and our industry. And Sue, are you seeing the same tendency that people apply for jobs on CareerBuilder just on their phone rather than sitting in front of the computer? Yes. And another development, of course, in that is, of course, remote work. Um, and, and Sue, in your job postings, uh, can you see or, or what is your sense of, uh, of the willingness, both of uh, workers and employers, to connect and, and allow more remote work? And how is that trend given that has been such an important issue during COVID, is that something that's here to stay? I mean, is it, are, more, are more workers uh, ready and, and want to work at home? And are more employers also ready and willing to allow people to work from home? In sheer volume, we see 30 times the job postings. If you pivot back to the beginning of the pandemic to today, 30 times the job postings on our site that offer remote hybrid, some form of flexibility. Wow. Um, and that growth rate trending up, no, no slowdown. Um, what we see on the job seeker side, back to my earlier point, if you, two jobs, same job, similar company, similar benefits culture. Uh, if the job posting offers remote work, we get seven times the applicants. It's pretty consistent. So the job seekers are certainly expressing, uh, you know, s- substantially different interest in some form of flexibility, um, and we have not seen that let up at all. And how does that work for you, Billy? I mean, in manufacturing and industrial production, it's a little bit harder to work remotely, or are you also seeing the same trend in the companies that you work with? Uh, yeah, definitely much, much more difficult for us. Uh, you, you, know, you can't have an assembly line in your house and um, you know, necessarily work. Uh, put together widgets. So from a manufacturing supply chain, uh, a lot of those roles haven't changed. We need them there in person in the facilities. Some of the support staff roles that we place, uh, certainly we've seen some benefit there and opportunity there, similar to what uh, Susan quoted, uh, but certainly not from a, a manufacturing supply chain. Now we do, like I said, offer contact center placements and or call center placements. And that's where we've seen maybe some folks that are in that 
kind of pay uh, targeted area uh, of saying, you know what, two years ago, I would take just about anything. I just need to make 15, 16, 17, $18 an hour, whatever that looks like. Uh, well, today I need to be in a remote environment for whatever reason, I mean, a compromised or, or, Hey, I just want to work in remote versus having to get my car every day because gas is really expensive. So we've, we've been able to accommodate some of that, uh, you know, the guy that used to be in a manufacturing facility that might have great customer service skills, uh, to be able to say, okay, fine. We have an opportunity for working in a contact center, but generally speaking, it, uh, the proportionate share, uh, the placements, they haven't really changed from a client placing perspective. Well, and Billy, you also mentioned earlier that the labor supply is significantly lower today than what it was uh, before the pandemic. And that's, of course, uh, given uh, a lot of attention to the so-called great resignation uh, that a lot of workers have resigned. And as you mentioned, also through the quits rate, the uh, share of workers that voluntarily re- resign their job every month is at the highest levels we've seen since the data started in 1999. Um, from your perspectives, maybe starting with you, Billy, when people talk about the great resignation that uh, so many people have resigned, uh, well, partly some people resign, of course, to find other jobs. Uh, but the, the great resignation, is that real? Uh, and what does that mean? And how do you think about that when, when you hear this concept mentioned? Yeah, well, it all goes back to what we talked about before, flexibility. You know, gig, gig scheduling is one way to offer some degree of flexibility. But we're finding that people simply don't have that kind of a long-term outlook as much as they did before. They know that they've been trained over the last, call it 18 months, that they're going to be in demand. So the risk of leaving a certain job is not maybe quite as high as it was before. Um, you know, we used to hire, going back just a couple of years ago, used to hire and say, you know what, it's a three-month, four-month, five-month assignment. And people would take a lot of comfort in knowing they had a plan, um, an intent behind their role, their job for the next four or five months, whatever that was. Well, now they, you know, 30 days in, if it's not something they're interested in doing, they'll go do something else. We do a lot of uh, pulsing and surveying of our associates to really kind of find out why are they leaving? What is, what is, what is the issue? And they're a lot less patient around cultural issues, working conditions, their supervisor. And while before uh, some of the placements we would do, they might kind of grin and bear it or just deal with it uh, because some of the pros outweigh the cons. Now the smallest con is starting to say, you know what, just simply not worth it. Life's too short, going to go do something else. And if that doesn't work out, I know I'm going to be in demand. So, you know, two weeks, two months, whatever the timing is, I'll just be able to go find something else for a commissioner pay uh, level. So, the risk of leaving, obviously, I'm stating the obvious, is not where it was. And the reticence or willingness to leave is so much greater now than it was before. And like I said, our people are telling us that. The surveys are telling us that. And is that also what you're seeing through the higher churn in the labor market where people are more inclined to leave relatively quickly? Do you see people come back with the same job posting relatively quickly again? Or what are the patterns that you're seeing on this front here? Yeah, we're absolutely seeing uh, the pattern play out. Um, We're also seeing some early data to suggest that a feeling of um, content after uh, quitting and uh, jumping to a similar job for a different company isn't always panning out. So starting to see some buyer's remorse. So we'll see if that trend develops into a number of boomerangs. But I think when Billy was hitting on the culture point and just I would say the the complexion of the mix of and the relative size of the mix of generations in the workforce and 
generationally who works and why they work and who stays and who doesn't. And, you know, baby boomers waiting around for the 30 year watch versus what a millennial's going to move for. Uh, We see the patterns in, you know, some of those generational differences playing out and impacting the uh, the quit rates and the great resignation substantially and patience, tolerance, interest in skill development, affinity to the culture, uh, willingness to work as a gig worker, not just because you're an Uber driver, maybe because you're a project manager and you're going to keep picking off your next great project. So the complexion of the worker has absolutely changed and is impacting it. Well, so let's, so let's now turn to how employers can try to keep workers and try to to get the right workers into the right jobs. Um, in other words, just try to drill a little bit in and maybe starting with you, Sue, also. How do you, how do you maybe can, can you describe how do you help companies? If I'm a company and I'm looking for a worker and I need the help of career builder to find that worker, um, what is the process with which you uh, can help me and, and, and what is the smartest way for me to find the right worker if I sit down with you and we figure out a way to get this done? Right. We are going to guide on what we see in the data always. So where we see uh, successful companies successfully attracting more than their, you know, fair share on a peer basis um, of applicants, uh, there are best practices in terms of how companies position the opportunity, um, what they offer and what they're willing to talk about uh, right up front. I'll give you another example, like the remote work example, where if you, uh, offer some form of flexibility, you're going to get seven times the applicants. If you can share anything about compensation, two job postings, one has something about compensation, one doesn't, you're going to get 10 times the applicants. So we're encouraging employers to do as much work as they can with their posting and how they're thinking about positioning the company. And then, you know, I keep saying to my team, uh, you know, the role of HR is, is uh, this is a board level issue, right? Talent uh, used to be COVID or cybersecurity or the rising cost of healthcare, now it's talent. Um, so how we think about talent, how we think about not just efficiency on the attract side, but what we do to retain becoming more and more critical. And do you see the same also, Billy, on your side? I mean, how do you, how do you work with companies that are looking to find workers and find the right match? And what help do you give and, and what services do you provide uh, to companies that use your services? Yeah, well, I think everybody's moved on compensation. You see what pay rates have done in the last, you know, call it even six months. Uh, significant increase in pay rates across the board. Uh, I don't know that I see that slowing down necessarily. It is just, you know, let me outdo the guy that's down the street by 50 cents. And then they come up 75 and another 25 cents an hour. And we're seeing more and more of that. The sign-on bonuses or the deferred bonuses, start work for weeks, you get 500 bucks, whatever that looks like. We're seeing a lot more of that. That's getting these guys in the door, maybe to the point of your question, but it's not necessarily getting them to stay. I think for us, really two tactics that we've deployed, uh, number one, referrals. And as old and as time true of a strategy that is, it still works. If a person has some kind of an emotional connection, whether that's coming in with a friend or family member and saying, hey, my brother needs a job too. He knows how much I talk about loving it here. let me get my brother, my friend, and you know what? He's going to have a friend. The referral piece, we're seeing a 40% greater stickiness rate over the course of the first six months if they're referred uh, by a current employee. Wow. Um, and so really bringing in that team-based uh, family connection, emotional connection, whatever you want to call it, 
I'm not going to let my friend down who referred me to be able to get this job. So that's very powerful. Uh, Susan's point around flexibility, completely agree. Uh, a lot of our clients still have your standard eight to five uh, work days, four or five days a week. Some, quite a few have come off of that. Uh, about a third right now have come off that in some capacity. It's not necessarily fewer hours. It's enabling them to come in. Maybe on Mondays or Fridays, they want to come in early so they can leave a little bit earlier. Maybe have a little bit of flex scheduling throughout the course of the week, but giving them some degree and optionality around flexibility. And I would add a third one too, you know, in terms of maybe this is not how you get them in the door as much as how you get them to stay. It's constant communication. And what I mean by that, we've deployed some AI tactics to where, you know, after five days, you know, Torsten, you come in, you work for five days and Hey, Torsten, congrats on hitting your first full week. I saw that you're on time every day this week. That's outstanding. How are things going? Give me a rating, one to 10. And I can just have that communication back and forth with you. And you feel like at least somebody's out there looking out for you, and you've got an advocate there. And aside from getting great data and information from you, as well as the other you know, thousands of uh, associates we place every day, I can get some really good directional information. I can then go back to the client and say, look, after five days, you know, this department's saying they're uh, eight out of 10. After five days of employment, this department over here is saying they're two out of 10. There might be some leadership issues or, or, or working condition issues over here versus over there. And so that constant communication, if they feel like they are tethered to something, uh, then I found the stickiness and willingness uh, of staying is quite a bit longer, too. That's fascinating. And, and what about, uh, I mean, what you both are saying is that the more transparency there is in the job posting or in the description of the job, the, the higher the hit ratio. Is that a fair description? Yes. More transparency, uh, company culture, all the intrinsic and, you know, sort of absolute factors about who the company is matter and contribute to attraction rate. But then you can end up having a relatively long and lengthy uh, job posting. Uh, and I mean, we haven't even spoken about 401k and healthcare benefits and other things. I mean, is there any sense that the workers demand just more and more information? And not that there's anything, of course, uh, wrong with that. But other than it, it can become quite cumbersome overall to write a, a job posting in an overheated labor market, given that the matching between workers and employers here is so critical. So so maybe the question to you, Sue, is how long are you willing to have a job posting and how much demand, how much do job seekers, how much information do they want? Or is it the case that you're trying to figure out and together with your clients, what are the things we want to highlight and what are the relevant uh, benefits, if you will, are the relevant items to discuss uh, for this job here. Right, absolutely. By by role, by industry, by locale. If there's a, a location issue or a need, um, you know there are lots of best practices about how to position the job posting. I think the other thing, as industry, we all continue to invest in Torsten is our technology around skills, skills development, and how to target. Uh, job seekers by being able to use AI and other advanced technologies to extract information about skills or competencies that are transferable against a broad set of job postings. So we're working on both sides of that marketplace to try to make both the employer experience uh, efficient, but also to 
extract a pipeline of folks that, you know, may not necessarily read like uh, the absolute match for the particular posting, but who have somebody who has the competencies to develop into that role. It's a big trend. We're seeing just this move to employers being way more open to address either upskilling, reskilling, or working with some competencies that can translate into, uh, a, you know, a productive worker. Yeah, and how do you do that, Billy? I mean, as as we're talking about here, if if the challenge today in the labor market is that a lot of people are actually outside the labor market, and we're trying to get them back into the labor market, how do you? Um, what what kind of technology do you use to try to find workers to to Sue's point, also reskilling and upskilling, and and finding the right people for the job openings that you have? Yeah, I think for us, maybe it's a little bit different uh, because we're looking at a different labor pool. Uh, you know, in terms of the postings we put out there, it's all about pay rate. Now, once they get in, something we do talk a lot, and there is a certain subset, and this goes to um, some of the points that, that that Susan mentioned and you just alluded to. Once they get in, there is a certain subset that says, you know, what about career pathing? This is great now that I'm at an entry level, but I've been doing this for three weeks now, and <laughs> I'm ready for whatever's different, or I'm going to do something else because I have to show the guys down the street just went to 16 or 17 bucks an hour. And so what's next for me? And that's where we have an opportunity to say, you know what? Do you want to learn how to drive a forklift, for example? Uh, or do you want to learn some different skills that might enable you to say, you know what? You're here today, but goodness, in three months, if you do these three things, you could be here. You could increase your compensation by 30%. You can be promoted a couple of times. You might even be leading a small team at that point. And all the, over the course of just a few months, you can you can really progress through a career. And that, to me, that once we get them in, outside of the emotional connections I mentioned before uh, to a friend or family member a lot of times through a referral, that, to me, is the other thing that really gets them a certain subset, not all, not all. And I wouldn't say it's the majority subset. But there's a certain subset that says, look, what's next for me? Because I really want to improve my status. And a lot of times it is about an extra buck or two per hour. But a lot of times it's saying, you know what, this is a great company. This is a great opportunity for me. And I can really see a, maybe a little bit of a longer path here for me uh, than maybe before. Okay. Before we wrap up our conversation, I mean, maybe just in terms of uh, branding for both your businesses. Uh, I mean, of course, it's very important uh, to be well known, of course, with employers. Uh, but Sue, so to you, I, if I remember correctly, I think you also advertised uh, some years ago in the Super Bowl. I mean, how do you get your brand out? How do you connect with uh, workers and with people out there and make sure that uh, you get the right people for the job postings that you have? Thanks for that question, Torsten. We're doing a lot of work on the job seeker side. Most of our marketing and creative work uh, in a campaign we launched last fall called Let's Job It Up is about uh, meeting the workers where they are. We uh, also launched capability called CoLab, which is an online environment where we really look to help to bring people in and help them understand career paths. So before they get to Billy, they get they get to Billy with an idea of how they get in. And then between where they get in and resources we can provide, we're helping people think about career paths. And some of that's linear, some of that's not, some of that's blue collar, some of that's uh, college grads, one, two, three jobs in. So we continue to put tools out there and brand work out there to uh, to reach job seekers. Yeah, and I know also, Sue, you have uh, every month ahead of the non-farm payroll numbers, which of course comes out uh, every first Friday of every month. You have a fantastic report that you put out uh, with the data that you have seen for the past month and where the job openings are. And 
and what's going on in the labor market. And I read that uh, every month when it comes out. Uh, and I think that's also, of course, a very important part of the interpretation of the data and understanding where the labor market is. Uh, so turning also, same question to you, Billy. How do you find job seekers? How do you, uh, how do you take this from a, from a helicopter level and, and make sure that uh, your brand and, and your business uh, gets all the attention that it deserves? Yeah, I think, I think maybe there's two different answers to this question. Number one, on the, on the industry perspective, uh, I think a higher and much, much greater reliance on technology. That's an obvious and easy uh, response, but so few of the people within the staffing industry uh, are able to utilize that. There's 20,000 staffing companies in the country. Two years ago, uh, 93% had less than 10 million in revenues. We've got 400 branches and the average branch is doing just slightly below 10 million in revenue. And so I say all that is to simply say, if we're the largest, it scales down pretty quickly. There's a lot of mom and pops out there that mom and pops candidly aren't able to or willing to or wanting to use the technology that's available to us. And so we're able to really apply technology, go a little bit deeper next level, I think, uh, and be able to attract talent and pull us in through our brands. Now, the internal response that I'll give you, it's interesting the timing that you uh, posed that question to me, because right now we've got 12 12 brands, 11 are go-to-market brands, and the 12th is EmployBridge. We don't go to market with EmployBridge. That's an internally facing brand. And so we've got 11 uh, go-to-market brands, anything from ProLogistics, which is obviously the logistics employees, to Resource MFG, which is the manufacturing employees, Remax is contact center. I can keep going on and on and on for another you know, nine brands or so. So right now we're trying to determine what do we want to do with that? How do we want to go to market? What does that look like for us? Do we want to go with one master brand and maybe one or two sub-brands or a clarifier behind that? But we have to figure out, A, what that naming convention looks like, what the brand architecture is for us, and then more importantly and more directly answering your question, how do we then go hit the market with a more well-known brand like CareerBuilder? Everybody knows CareerBuilder or Coke or Uber. How do we then take the 12 brands that we have, pull them all together, and then go uh, you know, full force into the market to really drive home that brand equity, that brand recognition uh, amongst our clients and our associates? Okay, and just one last question, uh, linking uh, what both of you are doing, of course, with everything that we're seeing in financial markets at the moment. As, as we, of course, all know, financial markets are very turbulent at the moment. We've seen uh, significant swings in the stock market going down and then up and then down again, uh, and more recently, actually, up again. And we've also seen the geopolitical situation in Ukraine. We've seen energy prices, commodity prices go up. Uh, uncertainty is very, very elevated. Inflation is very high. We also have just had the Federal Reserve begin to raise interest rates. So with this long list of um, uncertainties and risks, at least from a market perspective, maybe starting with you, Sue, have you in the last uh, several months, have you seen any slowdown in your business? Any signs that companies are beginning to step a little bit on the brakes or are still things uh, full steam ahead? We still see things full steam ahead in the underneath that macro conditions, some movement by sector. I mentioned things like education and community and social services jobs now popping, um, other newer, some and some of those are, you know, clearly pandemic related or pandemic aftermath. Others, not so much, whether it's uh, cyber, crypto, we expect other growth sectors um, to continue to grow. So if you sum it up, but we don't see anything slowing down at the moment. 
And what about for you, Billy? I mean, I should also have added supply chain issues, which of course is very important also for what you're doing. Any any signs of things slowing down in the last few months or are still things uh, moving forward uh, quite quickly here? Not related to the macro factors that you're that you're talking about right now. Uh, you know, we've seen some seasonal slowdown, which, you know, third, fourth quarter are by far and away the largest for what we do uh, as, you know, particularly on the e-commerce supply chain is, you know, the kids go back to school, we hit the fall, we get into the holiday season. That to me is always been, you know, kind of that big, we call it peak uh, in our industry. But no, in terms of macro factors, I think from a supply chain perspective, a lot of the slack is being worked out in the supply chain. We're seeing some benefits behind that. And while there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of our clients are saying, you know what, I know what's right here in front of me. And because we're such a sensitive and fluid business, we can literally say, you know what, in two days, I need 100 people um, and we can supply that for our clients. And so when we hear something like that, that's how our clients are thinking right now. I may not know what a month from now looks like because of issues in Russia or China or other macroeconomic related issues. But I know what the next two weeks looks for looks like for me. And for that, I need X amount of employees uh, in my facilities. And so they're reacting in the extreme short term now. And so that's what's driving some of our business as well. We haven't seen any slowdown whatsoever driven by some of the factors. Okay. Well, that's um, to sum that up. That sounds like uh, the U.S. economy is still uh, humming and moving forward uh, quite nicely here. Okay. With that, thanks very much for joining us. I think we've touched on a number of great points. Uh, so don't, why don't we close it out here? Sue and Billy, again, I greatly appreciate for you joining me today. And thank you, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. Thanks for having us, Thorsten. Very much appreciated. Apollo Global Management Incorporated, together with its subsidiaries, Apollo, makes no representation or warranty expressed or implied with respect to the accuracy, reasonableness, or completeness of any of the statements made during this podcast, including, but not limited to, statements obtained from third parties. Opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the current judgment of the speaker as of the date indicated. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Apollo and are subject to change at any time without notice. Apollo does not have any responsibility to update this podcast to account for such changes. There can be no assurance that any trends discussed during this podcast will continue. Statements made throughout this podcast are not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, or tax advice and do not constitute an investment recommendation or investment advice. Investors should make an independent investigation of the information discussed during this podcast including consulting their tax, legal, accounting, or other advisors about such information. Apollo does not act for you and is not responsible for providing you with the protections afforded to its clients. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security, product, or service, including interest in any investment product or fund or account managed or advised by Apollo. Certain statements made throughout this podcast may be forward-looking in nature due to various risks and uncertainties. Actual events or results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in such forward-looking information. As such, undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of terminology including, but not limited to, may, will, should, expect, anticipate, target, project, estimate, intend, continue, or believe, or the negatives thereof, or other variations thereon, or comparable terminology.